And everyone, my dog is about to start howling. (laughs) (laughs) The ice cream truck is going by. He's going to start howling at it. (laughs) Okay. Well, while he's howling, um, the the (laughs) point that I was getting at was, um, you know how someone will say like, yeah, I can play it. I just don't know how it goes. Or I could play it if I could hear it. Like if I could listen to the recording one time and I knew how it went, then I could do it. I feel like your dog's howl is not cute on Discord. (laughs) No, it sounds horrible. today we are so excited because we're going to do another let's argue but before we get into that and the undisputed champ livy takes on the new contender adam have you guys been doing is there anything you want to say to each other any niceties that you need to get out of the way uh i have no niceties oh (laughs) (laughs) no i'm just kidding i don't know I mean, this is no. I know we have. I know we haven't said the theme of this. Let's argue yet, but I'm not terribly optimistic about my odds in this one. So um, I, I can't really, I can't really come out too strong out of the gate on this one. Uh, I mean, in all honesty, I don't think the contender gets to set the rules. Huh? What? <laughs> well, you were the contender. Livy's the undisputed right. champ. Like, I don't know yeah. that you get to set the rules on. I mean that's fine. I'm just saying I don't have I don't have like great expectations for this one. I in my head it's not as bad as you think it is. Okay. I mean you know the questions, so we'll see. You can still have opinions even without an education yeah. degree. Oh, I got opinions. That's not what I'm worried I, about. I really didn't. <laughs> so it's not like I have a lot of actual like facts to roll off my tongue. To back myself up. I remember nothing. So I think the playing field is more even <laughs> than you might think. <laughs> yeah, and it's not necessarily about, you know, Adam, how are you going to teach the saxophone player something? It's a little broader than that. Should be. All right. Well, if you guys don't got anything else, um, I would tell everybody go vote. But if you're voting when you hear this, you're voting for something that, you know, probably isn't as important as the go vote stuff (laughs) um yeah you kind of missed this one if you if you're voting (laughs) when you hear this you've missed out but you know hopefully there'll be a record turnout anyways so without further ado let's argue the land before college livy has won our has won two debates adam has won one he is now taking on the undisputed champ Here's what we're talking about today. The biggest music programs that we see in high school, middle school, and before are band programs, choirs, and orchestras. Often these are focused on performances for football games, pep rallies, graduation ceremonies, and various other activities. The sizes of the programs range depending on where the school is, the size of the school, and other things, but you know, from 50 to 150 members 
So having taught at the university, the three of us have seen students that range in knowledge from, you know, knowing a bunch of things as far as music theory goes to knowing very little. And it doesn't necessarily matter which realm they come from, whether it's band, choir, orchestra, or they were in, you know, took piano lessons, something. So I want to think about not necessarily what we already do, but what are some things that we could do differently, which I think Adam is where it does play into your favor because you might have ideas about what might be different. Okay. Right. Any general questions about where we're headed? No. Okay. So I've got five questions. I will say that three and four are related, but I am going to keep them as like two separate questions. Um, so without further ado, number one, where should the understanding of music theory begin? Middle school, high school, even earlier? Things to consider are mu like music theory, what are you defining it that as? Is just being able to name note names music theory? Is being able to identify a quarter note is that music theory or is it something is it better to understand a different kind of concept the pulse of the music or something else you guys can take this in a bunch of different directions there's not necessarily a one-way stance on this but where would you you know say what? that music theory would need to begin what do you think about if we agreed on the age but for different reasons because i feel like we might agree on the age i think that's fine i'm this is more um interest in like how persuasive you are with your point not okay. necessarily that you can't pick the same answer right right okay what are our options again <laughs> so you you could really pick any time you could say we need to start at age five and we need to do crazy things like pull out a tuning fork and like ring it and tell children that that's an A that they're hearing and start like relative pitch training. Or you could say, you know, at like age 11 and 12, when they're getting into a lot of these programs, we should start with this kind of basic stuff. Or you could say, you know, in the middle school realm, really, you should focus on the concept of what it is to play the instrument but in high school you could take some of these concepts and start implementing them in different ways so that you can really pick a lot of different areas I was just interested in what you where you guys would think about starting yeah and then generally speaking where my hmm. mind goes is you have kind of three main options which not required at all but like general music which would be elementary age kids and then I mean, that could extend all the way to middle school for kids that, or even high school for kids that don't do band or an ensemble, like choir or something. But then middle school, you could do like beginning band or beginning choir, like beginning ensembles. And then high school, they're more intermediate instrumentalists or vocalists. That's where my mind goes. It's kind of general, like elementary or middle, which is like beginning whatever path you're taking. And then high school, which is intermediate. But that's just me, in terms of how I break up the age groups, at least. Yeah, and the NAFME, the National Association for Music Educators, um, they break it up in a similar way, where 
when they have their curriculum standards broken down now, which were redone in 2014. So anybody that's um, older like I am, you might know some other standards um, that were before that, but they've updated them since. So definitely go check those out. They've helped me out a lot with writing my lesson plans recently. But um, yeah, they have like general music, pre-K through eighth grade, and then kind of ensembles from ninth grade up. I have my answer. Adam, do you care about going first? Um, no, I'm flexible. Okay. You want me to go? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, I would say the earlier the better. So I would just off the top of my head, I would say just start them in kindergarten when they start going hopefully to a general music class. I know that it's becoming increasing, increasingly less common, but um, I hope that most kids still go to a general music class from kindergarten on. And I would say start music theory then. And um, you could go basic written skills, like start kind of showing them what a staff is and stuff. But what I'm thinking of is ear training, because I would define ear training as music theory. Um, and I think the sooner you start kids with ear training, the better, because if they're going to go into music, it's incredibly helpful for them to have grown up with that skill developing and even if they're not going to music it's not going to hurt them in any way and I think it's um in general I think it might be more appealing to kids than learning sort of the nerdy music stuff of like written theory to be able to like hear cool stuff I don't know it's kind of like a more of like a skill that you could like kind of show off with than like the nerdy side of things so I'm thinking of a kind of a way also to appease kids because having taught a general music class to high schoolers who didn't want to be there, um, they did not want to learn the written stuff, not even a little bit. So <laughs> I think ear training may be a little bit more appealing and it, I think it would be really helpful. Adam, your rebuttal. Yes. My rebuttal. Hmm. I would say later. You got to teach them later. I just don't know if like kindergartners or very young elementary school kids have the kind of attention span or uh, the attention to detail um, to, to really pick up on some of this ear training stuff that, I mean, you know, they, they pick up some, but I think that they're going to be much more, uh, they're going to pick up the concepts a lot better, and they're going to be a lot more motivated if you start them later to where they have actual kind of context and understanding of it. I, you know, my piano lessons, the only experience that I can fall back to, you know, my full three months of teaching piano lessons or whatever. Um, it's been more than that now, I guess. All the kids that I have at that age just want to, like, plunk stuff out. They don't care. They don't want to learn how to play piano. They don't want to learn ear training. They just want to, like, hit a bunch of the keys all at once. And just getting them to, to focus and play things in the right order and try to read the music is really difficult. And so I, I just don't know if necessarily like kindergartners are ready for some of the higher ideals of music theory or ear training. I think that's fair. Um, would you say like later as a middle school or like later late elementary? I'd say late elementary is a good start. Middle school might be fine. Uh, I know you kind of got to hit the sweet spot between when they uh, can start understanding and grasping some of it before they get surly. And so I, I realize there's a little bit of a, of a gap you got to hit right there. I was just curious. Well, and so Adam Livy hit on like developing ear training a little bit, but what what skills would you actually want them to start developing in that late middle school, early high school year that you're kind of getting at? 
I mean, I'm sorry. Late elementary, like early middle, is where I oh, was. Oh, okay. Sorry. Not high, not all, not all the way to high school. They can definitely pick it up before that. Got you. Okay, so um, in that kind of like ten to thirteen age range. Yeah, closer to there. Um, I think I think being able to read music is a really big one. Um, I think that that's going to help immensely and make a lot more sense to them. I don't know how well the younger kids are going to be able to handle that, and so I think that reading is probably one of the. I would put more importance on reading than than ear training just because i think it gives you a foundation to work off of as you continue working on ear training and you know other things okay so your side of things is we work on the written side of music theory first so that students can feel more confident in whatever instrument they may be using whether it's right. a performance instrument yeah because that, that gets them that gets them to that gets them to playing an instrument sooner, and then you can e- go in either direction. You can start playing and reading harder things, or then you can start working on sight reading using the foundation that you've built off of, of, off of the reading. All right, so Livy, some of what you were saying about the um, ear training, were you also, uh, would you be advocating for developing skills like internal pulse and other things like that? Or you're interested in them getting used to hearing certain rhythms like quarter notes, half notes, eighth notes, or like simple melodic ideas like a pentatonic scale or a pentascale where you use the first five notes of a major scale or minor scale. Was there a specific ear training that you were thinking? In terms of the skills I have in mind for when you start them out, I think solfege is a good way to go because it's simple. You can use the hand signs, and I think kids would kind of like that. It has a physical aspect to it. And you can find all sorts of, like, games and stuff that involve solfege. I didn't do any um, long-term teaching with little kids, but I did do some, um, it's not shadowing. What was it? I can't think of what it's called now, but it's where you just go and you spend a few days in a classroom. Um, practicum. I did practicum with an elementary class. Yeah. I, I did practicum. That's what we called it, at least. And um, we just did, you know, everything needed to be a game so that you kept all the kids engaged because we were doing, like, little, little kids. Not preschool, but, like, kindergarten. And, um, you know, you can do solfege in so many ways. And doing the repetition is fun. Getting them to improvise a little bit is fun. So I think that solfege is a good place to start it gets them singing it gets them listening and even if they don't think about it in this way they're internalizing a pitch with a syllable which you can then translate into pitch to notation um and then as they go along i think rhythm is really really important to get them to start counting rhythms in whatever system you would use i think that would be a next place to go as they get a little older And then I think to Adam's point, it's very important to get them to start reading by the time they hit that sort of pre-band or pre-ensemble age around like fourth grade where they may even start testing instruments. They've got to learn to read music um, if they're going to be going into an ensemble where it's an expectation that they can read music because otherwise they're just going to struggle and then they'll be frustrated and it's just this downhill, you know, spiral so reading music is crucial. So I think that in terms of written theory, like the sooner you start that, the better. But I think Adam might be right that that's kind of the sweet spot for it is sort of as they hit that double digit age, because before that, it probably wouldn't stick. Right. Thinking more to our experience with the students that we were getting in 
Theory 1 and even students that we were seeing in like Theory and Year Training 2 or 3 and 4 is that would like with any of those students um, is there did you think like you know you needed stronger like oral skills presence in either high school or middle school or something or kind of like Adam's point that they needed stronger writing skills is there either one of you is there one way that you because right now I think I agree with both of you that because I don't think that Adam's necessarily disagreeing with ear training could start conceptually at a younger age but then you're both agreeing that you know in that adolescent age range you want to start working on writing and recognizing what's going on but is there something that you think would help them one way or the other as they are getting ready to transition to a music college career i mean i think we would all agree that for any kid who ear training doesn't come naturally or like rhythm and sort of the nuances of notation to to those kids that it doesn't come naturally everyone would benefit from <laughs> having had more experience in it like i could have benefited mm -hmm. from years and years and years more of ear training stuff but um to kind of your question seth um i guess and also to give myself more of a defined stance to kind of give you somewhere to choose i do think that like i agree with adam on the importance of notation but um or the importance of reading and kind of getting into the written stuff at that age personally based on my experience i think that it could be more more beneficial to a kid who doesn't get ear training naturally it would be more beneficial for them to start very very young developing those skills than to a kid who may struggle with notation to start it around that pre-band age because again just in my experience i think that it is harder to internalize ear training when you don't have it, when you don't really have a starting point, the notation, because I think notation mirrors more of the skills that you get in school in other subjects, whereas ear training, I think, is its own thing that is very unique to music education. I think the sooner you start that, the better. Just to set myself kind of apart there. And I, I think that going into college without you're, if you go, if you are going to go from, you know, we're talking pre-college, what you learn pre-college, if you are going to go into college and work with music that way, so much of what you're going to do is going to happen on the page, and you're going to use that as the foundation for everything. Even if you're, I mean, even when you're doing your ear training classes, you're still doing your dictation, you're still trying to read stuff. I, I think that showing up without a full background in notation and reading the music is going to put you so far behind that even if you are really good with your ear, or even if you do have to work on your ear, um, if you're not comfortable reading the music or working with a score, uh, I think you're going to struggle really, really hard, hardly. You're going to struggle very hardly. I mean, I don't disagree with you. We've had, I think we've all seen both of those situations where they just can't get yeah. the notation. And then we've all seen the kids that just can't get the ear training side of things. I guess just in my experience that ear training outweighs the notation. But that's so frustrating when those kids who have the great ear just cannot notate or like just can't get it. It's so frustrating. Yeah. Or like if you 
if you talk them through it, if they could tell you all of the things that they were hearing and you're like, yes, this is correct. Totally, but, yeah. But, <laughs> you know, they when you write it down, they like, they skip a step somewhere, like they write a third and then they're off the rest of the time. Or rhythm. Or, you know. Rhythm is a huge, huge thing in that arena. They could yeah. have like perfect pitch and just not understand rhythm at all, which, you know, does go to Adam Adam's point. I forget how frustrating it is to grade dictation since we started thinking about it again so. yeah it's it's a challenge um i mean that that is a let's debate episode in itself uh, all right just how would you grade this dictation. test <laughs> well yeah i think i think part of it is just with grading dictations there's a there's an easy way to do it and there's a there's a good way to do it and you, could, you could be really lazy and it, and it punishes your students or you could try to figure out exactly what your students were thinking for each example and that takes way longer but it's going to be more fair to them and help them improve more yeah. um, i think of it i know when i started I did, versus I, guilty because <laughs> i was a guilty grader i was like i can't I mean, mark you off for sure. that <laughs> i mean i started i started i think the wrong way where i just looked at measure by measure i was like well these are all the notes that are wrong in this measure these are all the notes that are wrong in this measure and then realizing, like, oh, man, they were only an eighth note off the whole time, but I had to mark off every single note because they were wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Just measuring it literally measure by measure, that doesn't work so good. And so then going back and only taking off for the mistake and then giving them credit for what they technically got right, it's so much more exhausting and way more work. Yeah. But I think that it is better towards your students and will help them improve more. Yeah. This is... This is tough for me. Um, I think you both made really strong cases for both ways. I think I'm going to lean with Livy to start out. Um, Shocker. Well, the I think I agree with her because there's just that if you if you're not developing that internal sense of the music and what all of these things mean that. It's hard to take the written and translate it to that in my mind instead of taking what it sounds like and understanding, okay, this written down, this is what this is. But um, I would understand the argument the other way for it as Adam presented it. And so, but I'm with you guys that both things are essential. And I think timeline wise, you know, I agree with, the age ranges that you were talking about to start both of those, you know, start ear training and the concepts a little bit younger and start the written stuff, you know, in those middle years so that it kind of clicks and catches on. But I also think it's interesting because Adam, uh, you were in choirs and played piano mainly growing up, right? I did. Yeah. And so Livy and I were both in band programs and mostly, and mostly, like I played a lot of hymns, and so like four part writing. While I didn't know all the rules and everything, I was pretty comfortable seeing four part writing, right? But and hearing it in my head. Um, it was all. It was interesting to me because um, for you, the instrument that you play, to play it, it does rely a lot on being able to read it, the music correctly, to play the correct note. Whereas a lot of times for Livy and I, I started later in ninth grade playing the tuba. But for that, a large part of being in tune, 
getting that idiosyncratic sound on your instrument has a lot to do with your ear. And so I thought it was funny that that's kind of the stance that you two were taking without necessarily saying it. I don't know if either of you thought about it like that way, but I thought it was interesting. (laughs) No, I mean, because honestly, my experience was that I was, I, I never had a problem with the notation side of things. And I had all the problems with my ear, even though I did play a wind instrument. Yeah. So for me, it was kind of the opposite of what you would expect. Got you. All right, so question two. Music students at some point in their lives will say something to the effect of, if I could hear it, then I could do it. How can this thought be dangerous or helpful in different ensembles? Would you encourage or warn against relying heavily on a student's ear? And I said ensemble, but if you wanted to talk about solo playing, um you could speak to that as well. Can you say the beginning of the question again? Like, what's the quote? <laughs> the The point that I was getting at was, you know how someone will say, like, yeah, I could play it, I just don't know how it goes. Or I could play it if I could hear it. Like, if I could listen to the recording one time and I knew how it went, then I could do it. I, I have an immediate answer that popped kind of to the front of my head that uh, might be different than yours, Adam. But if you want to go first, I am... No, I'll let you have it again. Fine with that. Okay. Um, so my... Again, we may have the same answer, but I think our reasoning would be the different part. But so my immediate answer is that that is very dangerous. I think that that's one of the worst things across the board as a performer because um, you really that's kind of to the detriment of both of the things that Adam and I were describing. Um, If you don't have your ear and you have to hear it first, or I think it's more common in terms of if you're not good with the notation or rhythm or anything side of things, that that's really when that comes in is if you don't hear it, you really don't know how it goes. Um, That's very, very common. I think especially in like our fundamentals class that we taught, like especially for rhythm, it was just bad. But so my, my thought process is almost never should you encourage that in a student, except I think the one exception would be in terms of a style, because I think the only way you can get certain styles, for example, like if you want to play like a in a swing style, I think without hearing it, it's really hard to know what that is because it's not notated. Um, you just have to know it uh, until you learn it by hearing it. And then also in terms of like timbre stuff, like specific to your instrument, I think that it's fine for, you know, that to be based off hearing because also you're going to learn it. But so in general, in terms of like playing what's on the page, if you can't do it without hearing it first, aside from a style thing, I think that's a gigantic problem. So I think we should discourage that students as much as possible. That's what comes to my mind at first. I'll probably think of like, a million different ways later that it's actually okay. But what first comes to mind is like, no, 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 no. Okay. And I think we should encourage it as much as possible. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, because. <laughs> <laughs> should we just play back what I said and you'll just say, <laughs> and don't. In front of everything, I said. Just take a really hard stance in the opposite direction. Yeah. All right. Uh, we might have to. I sort of lost my train of thought. Um, okay. 
Yeah, I'm left. Okay, so what what I understood (laughs) from what Livy was presenting was we should discourage it because it we need to be focused on what Adam was getting at with the first question that we need to understand the written notation as far as pitch wise what should be happening and rhythm wise what should be happening and transferring that in, that information and processing it into either our voice or our chosen instrument instead of relying on i heard it first and then understand what all of these symbols yeah mean. i think learning your part by rote enables students to never learn to read the music and never learn to think about the writing um, think about those theory skills if they're just enabled to learn by rote and granted it's different for different instruments and different vocal settings and all that stuff but just generally speaking i think it enables some really bad habits learning by rote which is what comes to mind for me when i hear kind of that phrase you put out of if i hear it i can do it to me that equals learning by rote uh, yeah, I might have to, in the first time ever of Let's Argue, just resign. I don't think this is a defensible position. So, <laughs> Oh, no. No, I think, I think there's only one right answer. But no, let's because, brainstorm. Like, even, <laughs> no, no, let's brainstorm. Why, why, why no, would like, it be a good answer? Even when you're talking, like, I'm thinking about how I did that in middle school and high school, was that I didn't, I didn't feel like learning how to play rhythms. And so I would get my piano teacher to play it for me and be like, cool, and then just emulate that all week. And I'd come back and she'd be like, no, that's not quite it. And so then she, I was like, oh, okay, can you play it for me again? And she would just play it for me again, and then I would learn it and just memorize it that way. Um, and so then when I got to, when I got to undergrad and I had to do like rhythmic dictations and stuff and people were putting in like tied notes and dotted, like basically if I saw more than one tie, my brain just yeah, shut down. I think that you're, if I saw two or more notes tied together, I would just give up. Yeah. I think that's so many students going into undergrad. They were enabled to learn by rote, even in like a band where you could be the only person on say like the horn three part, but like, if it's close, like if the rhythm matches another part, you know, you never have to learn how to read rhythms or something. I think it happens so often. Right. I do think that maybe one, I, I don't think it's a great argument, but if you, you could say, you know, for someone who's not going into the sort of what is in Western art music, the traditional route of ensemble playing, which would be reading sheet music, playing your part and stuff. If you went a different direction, it would be fine to learn by hearing, you know, like, let's say you were yeah in some other setting where that was okay i can't think of one but that could be a possible argument but we already but we already kind of said that um like we're talking about like then what happens if you once you get into college like that's kind of already where we're starting from yeah and most college is based around reading the music so yeah so adam let me let me see if this helps you develop a position um with my fourth graders and my fifth graders and my sixth graders and when i like really take over the middle school seventh and eighth grade i'll make them do it too but what i do with them is a lot of um i model and then i ask them to repeat what i did so that like for my uh fourth graders we're on recorder right now and we go sit outside in the cold, in the wind, so that no COVID gets blown on each other on the recirculating air inside of a classroom. Before we play it, 
to help them identify the notes and other things like that, I am saying the note name on pitch and in the correct rhythm. And then we all say it together. And I'm not in, I'm not necessarily using the word sing with them because I don't want anybody to be self-conscious that they are singing. But I am pitching it, and because they're modeling me, they end up pitching it as well, and generally matching pitch very well, to the point of, like, when we look at new examples, they are, whether it's correct or not, they are attempting to sing or pitch it, even though they're, like, I'm modeling less, and there's less exact rope going on. How does, how does that information help? I mean... Yeah. <laughs> I, I really don't know. I really don't know. Like, I'm I'm just kind of stuck on this one. Yeah. Adam doesn't have the background to fall back on, but kind of to something you were saying, Seth, I think that maybe with beginning brass, this would be more helpful than my point let on. Because kind of like we mentioned in our episode about uh, the theses that we never wrote, and you were talking about uh, low brass pedagogy and we said that oral skills came, come into play there a little bit more. You know, you can't just learn to audiate out of nowhere you have to learn it somehow so hearing it then doing it could help with beginning brass students i guess in my head i was thinking more high school but the earlier you go the i think the more this is okay but you gotta wean it out (laughs) yeah i mean yeah i guess i would agree with that like early on it is okay but then even i think it is easier for for like again in my in my inexpertise i think that that probably is easier on wind instruments than it is on like piano to hear it maybe i'm just making that up yeah i'm probably just making that up i don't know no, I mean, if you have, you know, you hear one note at a time, it's a lot easier to imitate it than if you were playing a full chord on the piano. <laughs> yeah. I think you could compare the wind. I think the And easiest... I guess I'm also I'm also sort of thinking about, like, strength and numbers of doing it, like, with an ensemble. Uh-huh. I guess that's true. So, <laughs> we'll put a pen in that one. We may come <laughs> back to it later. <laughs> I mean... There was a winner, but it doesn't necessarily seem fair that like one person was able I to mean, give one their of side the debaters. Of one of the debaters kind of announced the winner. So, yeah, I think on my side of things, that later on, especially in those high school things, you really don't need to be learning by rote, and I don't necessarily know that you want to learn by rote strictly by rote early on where it's like okay watch me and then just repeat that and like watch my slide or my fingers or my bowing and just copy that um there are methods like the suzuki method that is built primarily around rote teaching where it's just like okay yeah if any of us knew a lot about suzuki we could make a really compelling argument but i know nothing yeah, other than I had a strings class at uh, Mississippi State and we went through parts of the Suzuki method and understanding like how you would start some beginner strings and what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's also like uh, that and with piano, there's a lot of you just got to get used to the technique and a lot of those students start younger than necessarily saxophone or trombone students because of limitation like physical limitations of the student 
Mm-hmm. You know, even with a small hand, you can generally still get to a little five note scale in both hands. So, well, and they make three quarter instruments, which they do not make three quarter trombones or three quarter saxophones. Right. Um, so that that you know, there is use for rote there. I I like early on doing some rote things because it is very, it's a it's a good age range. Uh, because mentally, that's kind of where they are. They're not, they're approaching, in that like adolescent age, they're approaching and getting into concrete learning where you can present them like, here's a set of facts and they can remember the set of facts. Uh, they're not into like abstract, you know, I can take this information and do anything I want with it yet. That's just, that's a good stage to be in to, I think, help them incorporate some of that rote okay this is how it sounds let me model it for you and then let you kind of and it builds good muscle memory which is absolutely necessary in wind instruments yeah on to number three um Mm -hmm. ensembles uh especially in the high school area as uh you know school systems are asking for more evolved curriculum and lesson plans and other things they have begun to incorporate music theory in various ways. Uh, playing scales, following the playing of scales in the circle of fifths, playing and singing chorales, playing uh, chords from each like key. So playing, you know, a one, four, five chord progression in each key so that students understand where the like primary chords are. The question would be, what would some what would be something you would want to be added in, whether it was into the choir or the band, something you know about, something you've done in your like pre-college stuff, or even in your college career, that you think, yeah, people should be doing this on the middle school and high school level. I'll go first this time. Okay. Um, I would make them start a music theory podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe not, but <laughs> um, oh, I don't know. Something that I've done that I would want children to do, and not necessarily children. You know, it could be yeah. the later stages of high school. Um, I mean, I, I think that probably a lot of people do this. It's just that I didn't do it very much, and I didn't do it until I got to undergrad. But one thing I really thought was cool that I enjoyed was that our choir director would split us up into two to four groups. And he would have our pianist give us our starting pitches, and he would direct half the group with one hand and half the group with the other hand using uh, the sign language solfege, like the sign to solfege. And then occasionally he would bring up a second person. That's when we split into four groups. And then we'd have four different groups and f- watching four different hand gestures. And the two of them would move us around, you know, like pitch by pitch to create different chords and stuff like that. And we would usually do it acapella with only slight reinforcement if we were going super out of tune. Um, and I really enjoyed doing that. It was fun to kind of get to just be a part of it and also good for our ears and like learning to harmonize and sound together and stuff like that like i said probably a lot of people do that he didn't do it very often because to be honest our choir director was not always the most committed to excellence um (laughs) but i enjoyed the times that we did do it 
So with that being said, would you or would you or would you suggest that others are focused on specific chord progressions or just understanding that like if somebody if you know the altos or the tenors move one note or something that it changes the chord quality in a certain way what are you kind of yeah it was more about that he he wanted us to kind of like lean to the dissonances and things like that okay so it was uh it was about being like it was more about changing it was more about changing the nature and the quality of the chords we weren't going through progressions we were just going through like you know one like step-by-step voice leading only moving one or two voices at a time got you um but uh would you be interested in like students learning you know small progressions like one to four to five and then back to one through an exercise like this or you think it's better as kind of an abstract you can get to different chords you know like the seven chords that are in a major scale both go for it i think both of them are good I mean, you should learn qual- like individual quality, and you should also learn sort of harmonic function. I think both of those are good. Okay. Livy, what are your thoughts? Uh, I can think of like a million performance-related things, but I'm struggling with the theory. Um, really what comes to mind is um, it all kind of result- revolves around um, reading what's on the page. And maybe... I think that it's really important to do things like corrals and kind of the exercise that Seth was talking about that trains your ear to listen for chords and the tuning that's required on different um, chord degrees and all that kind of stuff. And maybe I'm biased because I feel like I did that a decent amount in like high school. So I don't know if most ensembles need more of it because I feel like I did an okay amount, but what I feel like I could have done with more at my school and at the schools that I taught at were based around reading what's on the page. And so having your students count their rhythms aloud and really what it would come down to as an instructor is checking that every student is able to do it, not just your top chairs in the section. Because I think that a lot of teachers are guilty of testing their students on this kind of stuff, but they let the best ones do it and then the bottom of the sections just slide by um so this would be about holding the whole section accountable so like counting rhythms um, i think singing would do a lot of good for instrumental groups vocalists i'm not sure what an equal comparison would be but for instrumentalists singing more singing your parts on pitch would do a lot of good um and just like knowing singing on, on where... pitch is always good <laughs> always helpful <laughs> for vocalists and everyone recommend it um and like knowing when your part needs to be brought out and stuff but that gets more into the performance side of things um you know i do i did just think of one but along the same lines of being able to count your rhythms i'm all for um students being able to conduct being able to for example sing their part while conducting because like i made my undergrad ear training classes do that all the time and they hated me because they couldn't really do it so i think the earlier you start that the better but really those are kind of what come to mind is a lot of singing for instrumentalists um a lot of counting and just making sure that everyone can do it really not just the 
not just the people who are confident in it. All right. Let me think. Was there a follow-up <laughs> question that I had? I don't... I don't think so, but I also... I'm kind of at where I am, where I was for number one, where... Like, I like both sides of things, so... It's not necessarily a clear one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of some way to sabotage Adam's answer. (laughs) I can't come up with it, but I'm trying. I, I think, I think I'm going to go with Adam on this one because Mm. I think that, um, what he was focused on was that if you are familiar enough with your scale, that then um, you can manipulate it to get to a bunch of different things. And I think that that is important, understanding the manipulation of the scale as far as a music theory concept, because that kind of is what music is for a large part is. We have a collection of notes, and it's the manipulation of it, whether it's you know 16th century music or you know, 20th century. Like, it's just different collections that they've decided on. With number three in mind, number four, because number three was really just about what kind of exercise would you add to kind of get some pseudo-music theory started in programs, while the idea being that you know, you still have to be focused on like the technical aspect of your performance. So number four, the question is, would adding or doing some of the things that we talked about truly help a student's understanding of music theory? Or is it really more about, is it really more like performance-based? Um, do you mind if I go first again, Louie? Oh, no, that's fine. Um, I think the one that, that I, I mentioned in the last question, which was um, kind of breaking up your choir into parts and directing them part by part, uh, using the sign solfege, or maybe you can find another way of doing that. I think that it would teach them music theory concepts, not just performance concepts. I think understanding the relationship between chord qualities, you know, if, if you think of like one very simple example that you could do that I, I play on the piano a lot, especially when I was trying to learn seventh chords, was it like a, an octave with a major triad in the middle of it? A major triad with an octave on top, down a half step becomes a major seventh, down a half step becomes a dominant seventh, down a half step comes a um, half diminished seventh, down a half, or minor seventh, sorry, then a half diminished, then another half step down is a fully diminished seventh, you know, moving a different voice each time, but like realizing that you're just all the seventh try, all the seventh chords that we use are basically like five within five half steps away from each other more or less um and so i think understanding the relationship between the qualities of chords is good for music theory i also think that like seth mentioned um if you start to practice moving through progressions that way i think that understanding um what changes from one harmony to another can help you understand the harmonic function of that chord as well as understanding you know based on what part that you sing what part of the chord you are or what you are moving or how your specific role impacts the harmonic function of the chord. So I do think that that would help immensely with, with music theory, right. understanding qualities and the relationships and then understanding um, like even personally how harmonic function applies to you. 
Right, and like one thing that I tried to stress in um, melodic dictation was the idea of tendency tones in that when you get to like fa or t in you know the major and minor scales that we were using that mm-hmm. those want to fa wants to resolve down a lot of times and t wants to resolve up and in melodic right. dictation that's not necessarily always true um now depending on who you are, you could get into some Shanker concepts and say that those are always true. But um, harmonically, those are definitely true. And so I, I get your point about, um, you know, learning that you are a tendency tone in a certain chord and feeling how that tendency wants to resolve could definitely strengthen your understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been teaching. I've been trying to teach my uh, some of my piano students some tendency tones. the The book that we use that not kind of the owner and like head piano teacher use for like uh, sight reading stuff. It's kind of it's set up a little oddly. I get I don't know. It's not set up oddly. Sometimes it just doesn't focus on things that I wish it would focus on. And one of the things is that sometimes it's hard to have all the right tendency tones if you haven't introduced all the keys yet. And so the students will end up playing stuff that's really modal at the very beginning of the of the book without really knowing what modes are or what it they don't they don't even know what it's supposed to sound like um like if we're just working in c major or whatever or eventually you start you start playing uh you start playing examples that start on uh f in the bass and g in treble because those are like our guide notes on the staff or whatever but if you haven't learned any of the sharps or flats you don't have b flat or f sharp uh, those just sound really weird and modal. You get like Lydian stuff when you start on F and you get like Mixolydian stuff when you start on G. Um, anyway, all that to say is that like then once my students start learning keys, I start really trying to push like those tendency tones um, and like helping them understand like what a leading tone is and why it wants to resolve that way because I think like recognizing that will help them with some error correction of like, well, that just didn't, that just sounded weird because it didn't do what I was expecting it to do. Well, if it didn't do what you were expecting it to do, then you probably didn't play it right because these aren't very difficult. You know, it's like recognizing some of that harmonic stuff. I think it will also improve your performance as well. And that's like practicing sight reading examples isn't really performance. I guess what I mean is just like your practical practice and musicianship. So um, before we hear Livy's side of this question, I was wondering, Adam, with that being said, um, it's not necessarily changing who won number two, but I was curious how would some of that understanding of tendency tones help somebody who, you know, if I could hear it, I could do it because wouldn't that help them understand like if they knew I'm supposed to have an F sharp here resolving up to G. But didn't, but wasn't sort of the conversation that like having good ear training was different than learning it by rote. I mean, yes, but because I think understand, I think understanding your tendency tones and knowing what they're supposed to be doing is a combination of ear training and like practical written theory. Whereas just like memorizing something or listening to it and then replicating it, I don't know if that is really the same thing. You know? Yeah. At least as far as we were talking about it before. Yeah, true. But I was, I guess, in my mind, I was also trying to leave the question open enough to, if you wanted to say. Well, learning by rote might be bad, but if you 
like do this, then this would be okay. So I just didn't know if you thought that, you know, like singing through like the major scale or something or singing through the song and talking about, you see this, we want it to resolve up so that when you hear F natural instead of F sharp, it'll sound weird because you're not ha- you're not hearing the tendency tone like you want to. Yeah, I guess I hear what you're saying. Um, I think there is sort of like a gray area between familiarizing yourself with what to expect, like what the expectations of music are, um, versus learning by rote. I think there's a little bit of overlap there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I tried to pick things with gray areas. All right, so Livy, back to our question at hand. Does doing those, you know, things that we say are incorporating music theory, playing scales, playing chord progressions with where you specifically call out like we're playing these chords or playing scales in the circle of fifths that are all music theory things, is that actually teaching music theory concepts or is it really just a performance enhancing kind of thing? Um I'm, I mean, I'm not going to make this easy on you, Seth, because I'm largely going to agree with Adam, and then I'm just going to add a bunch of caveats. Um, I think that per our answer to number three, Adam's teaches theory much better than mine did. I think mine were much more performance-based, but my big caveat is that for both of our answers, it comes down to how you teach it. Because I think it's very possible to do the break-into-groups um, and use the solfege hand signs to have students, um, you know, build different chords and dissonances and consonances and all that stuff. I think it's very possible to do that and reinforce none of the theory behind it. Um, Not emphasizing that what they're singing is scale degrees, not emphasizing chords, not emphasizing tendency tones, resolutions, all that stuff. If you just do it, and if you focus, say, on more the tuning aspect of things, I think that's a lot more performance-heavy than theory-heavy. And, you know, on the other hand, I think that my answers to number three, which generally speaking were more performance based, I think you could do those in a very theory way where as they're counting rhythms, you know, you really break it down. You have a good discussion of meter. You have a good discussion of how the rhythms, you know, interact with each other, all that kind of stuff. And then the singing side of things, if you bring a lot of ear training into it, you know, basically build upon the basic that is singing your part and adding your training into it, then you can make it theory heavy. But just from if you were just going through and singing your parts and you don't add anything to it, it's just performance. Um, But I think that's true for both of our answers, that it all comes down to how you teach it, which is kind of a cop-out answer, but I think it's true. So that's what I'm... Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, Now... (laughs) I do want to render a bird. However, in the spirit of keeping you guys and the listener engaged through our final question, I'm not going to announce the, like, who I'm giving the point to for four or five. Well, that means the Livy one, doesn't it? No, 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 no. So that I will just, at the end, announce who won Mm. the overall debate. Okay. But... So that she won one, I forfeited two, I won three, so it's two to one right now. Right. Which means that if I won this point, you would have just announced it. Because it'd be two two. Possible. 
But you're right. The other situation might be that Livy won that one and that you and would... it's 3-1 and this one... You could be 3-2 at the end. <laughs> right, but I'm but saying the only reason he would have to disguise it is so that I wouldn't give up. I mean, in, in all honesty, if you guys logged into the Google Drive and opened the document that I'm looking at, you could look at who I awarded the point to. Here, if you announce it or not, Seth. I don't either. I'm just saying this isn't very sneaky if you're trying to be sneaky. He sees through you. <laughs> okay. I'm still going to continue to do what I'm doing. But number five. Okay. So the question is, we've talked about different ways that you could incorporate music theory and when you would start things and other things like that. I want to know for you that AP music theory is offered in some schools, but not all, generally taught by the band director or the choir teacher. And then we run into the issue of scores of four and five may not even give you credit for beginning theory courses because it does cover the material of what is traditionally the first year of music theory. And it, like AP music theory, has ear training in it as well. So the question would be, if you were, if you could go back before undergrad, would you have taken music, an AP music theory course before you went into college? I don't know how we're going to debate this. (laughs) Yeah. It's not, I mean, it's not necessarily. Are we debating the merit of AP music theory? Not necessarily, I mean, I guess in some light, that might be your reason, but it's like... Depends on if the school accepts it. It is. <laughs> well, and like, I think, you know, kind of like some of the points that you guys have made that, you know, it might be, you might be getting more performance stuff from your band and not necessarily music theory specific things. You may be interested in that. You Like, there are lots of reasons that you might have, but I was curious especially since all three of us you know went to undergrad and then eventual music theory degrees i was interested in would you one way or the other and why kind of decide to take ap music theory and the reason i was doing this was in my mind the questions kind of went from like broad where would you start to if you were going to end before you went to college ap music theory would kind of be the end i'll go uh so would i take ap music theory personally or as a hypothetical student yes but i guess the argument that i'll make is uh i'm gonna have to talk through it um I think it'd be good for students to take it in general, so long as they're ready for it, which hopefully, based on everything we were saying, you'd be in an environment where they started the theory a little earlier and you grasped it and you were ready for it by the time you got there. Because I think it's a great springboard into your undergrad curriculum. Now, if your undergraduate curriculum didn't accept that and you had to automatically get out of music theory at Southern Miss if you take AP, I think you still have to pass the entrance exam. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. I don't know. I don't know how the AP works for that. Um, 
I think because it was very rare that somebody had taken music AP music theory and did well enough that they would have the option to do that. I think the like one instance that I know of, and I could 100% be wrong about it, but I think it was they had the option to get out of like one and go to two. But not necessarily the whole first year. I, mean, I thought that's what happened when you did well enough on the on the test anyways. If you passed, you got to go to two. I mean, you got to go to sophomore. Yeah. I thought I thought if you did really well, I thought you could skip straight to three. Theory three. No, you can. If you already took like freshman somewhere else. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think what would be good, kind of just to wrap up my point, I think what would be good would be for undergraduate programs to offer an entrance exam to all students, you know, regardless of theory or not, because let's say you didn't take it, but you have been taking private lessons or something and you know your theory and you take theory one, theory two, um, I think it'd be good for you to not have to and to be able to go right to the point you're ready for and devote your time to other things that are new skills. And then if you did take AP Music Theory, you can test out of that if you're ready. Or I think it'd be good because let's say yes, the approach to undergraduate theory was pretty different from my undergraduate experience. So um, say I had been able to test out of my undergraduate theory, um, you know, there's still different skills I would have learned at Southern Miss had I gone there. And, you know, it, I don't think the competency to test out of each program is equal. So I think it'd be good for every school to have an interest exam. So that, you know, if you did take AP, but you didn't learn the same skills that you would learn in that program, that you go ahead and take the program. Interest exams would be good, regardless of AP Music Theory. Okay. And I'd agree with that if I wasn't contractually obligated to to disagree. (laughs) Maybe you can just find a different point to argue and Seth can decide who did what better. Because I don't know how we're supposed to debate this. (laughs) Um, But we can find a way. Well, I think Libby, you were I mean, you were saying you would take it because you felt like there was more performance for you, and so music theory would help you like get ready for college. Or was I misunderstanding? I mean, that? I think that. Well, I mean, I just said I think in general, most kids who are ready for AP Music Theory would benefit from taking AP Music Theory. But then I did say like. If you were going to take it and then you wouldn't get any credit for it and you were going to learn the same things in your undergrad, like, no, don't take it. Don't waste your time. Spend your time on something like getting better at your instrument or something. So, I mean, I kind of answered both ways. It all depends on the college you're going into, in my opinion. Because I think retaking the same class twice would be really annoying. Okay. Because I kind of did that. (laughs) I didn't get any credit for my thing I took in high school. I'm hip to it. Add on. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Dig into your homeschooled experience, Adam. Give us some <laughs> fresh take. Where I didn't do any music or music theory. Yeah. Um. Okay. All right. Let me let me try this then. I would say, don't take it. Okay. And just show up and enroll in the fr- if if you're an incoming freshman, you've not been in school before, you've not taken classes. Before. If you're transferring, you know, do what you got to do. But if you're an incoming freshman, I would just say take the freshman theory classes because 
lots of schools teach music theory very, very differently. And they have different standards and they have different guidelines. And different prof professors will see things differently and they'll use different textbooks and curriculum. And so I think if you were to learn it one way and then try to jump into a program like, uh, you know, one out of the two years in and they're doing a totally different textbook or they're doing a totally different way or the things that they're looking for in voice leading are different from where you originally learned it. I think that that transition might be more difficult than it needs to be. And so there's some advantage just staying consistent and learning it one way the whole way through. And then if you want to move forward with music theory, then you can start taking like other classes or go to a different school and, and like learn the different methods and things like that. But, you know, just going from I from my undergrad, the way my undergrad professor taught theory to the way that um, Dr. Beard taught theory at USM, they were very different. And I think, I think if I had switched halfway through, I would have been needlessly confused because of how different their approaches were. And so I think that they sort of That's sticking. That's actually a really good answer. Sort of sticking with I'm the kind of consistency <laughs> all the way through could be very helpful to you. Also, entrance exams. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to promo my argument. No, that was a really good point. Pretty much the point I was getting at just said better. Yeah, I can't really take anything away from entrance exams because I think those are good. But I do think that... I mean, it kind of gets the same thing across, but I think that your approach is basically taking any of the risk out of it. Right, yeah. If, you know, if the school taught a good freshman course. If the freshman course was bad, there'd be an advantage to learning it in high school, but, you know... Well, we but if the freshman course was bad, but then the sophomore was going to build off of that, you still kind of want to know what they're doing. We had three different freshman teachers at my undergrad and then one sophomore... And the three freshman teachers all taught differently. <laughs> and so I was very highly recommended to take the person I took because it fed into sophomore. But the other teachers, from what I was told, like the kids that came into sophomore were like, what is going on? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it is possible yeah. that a bad freshman could also hinder a sophomore. But, you know, I mean, and I that's, think that and that's, that's true. That common. happened somewhat at, at Cary as well, because we, we did have three, uh, three, Freshman theory professors, one of them who, was, who also taught sophomore theory, but he was the only sophomore theory professor. Um, but even so, I think that that point still stands to, like, I took that guy all four semesters, and I always knew what I was doing. Um, even just inside the school, switching from one teacher to another um, created problems. And so I'm not using that to say that, like, it, the whole thing's inconsistent, don't bother with it. I'm using that to say it is very inconsistent so as much consistency as you can get out of the process i would recommend mm -hmm. yeah 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 hmm. well now we're at an interesting place because <laughs> there was a really good answer in there and the question becomes does the person that just didn't answer a question win the whole debate i think they do <laughs> i think that's called overcoming <laughs> so that would mean that you won wait well how would he have won I was, that would mean i was that i won towards, point four i was leaning towards adam on question three or question four no i won i won three yeah, but then you would have two and four so you won one and two i won three and four and it sounds like i won five. Oh, i forgot you won three i did my bad i forgot bit, you won so. three <laughs> I forgot. Yeah, Livy. I didn't give up. It was an indefensible position. I... <laughs> <laughs> That's the only time in the history of Let's Argue that, like, 
there wasn't an adequate counter argument to be made. I think there was, but I I could see how it was unfair for you because being a piano player and like a piano teacher now that you wouldn't necessarily jump to the same place that I would as like right. doing some band things where I'd be like, no, I could teach some of these concepts kind of by going over like how it, you hear it and then backing into it. Although mm-hmm. it was funny that Livy's starting out stance and number one was, well, we should teach them how to hear things. And by point two is like, no, 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 no. They don't, don't worry about how it sounds. You need to learn how it's written. <laughs> <laughs> that is not my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, it feels, feels a little wrong, but I, I think by the hair on his chinny chin chin, Adam has unseated the champ. I, it was not a <laughs> unanimous decision. By the hairs on my chinny chin chin, I count like plenty. Adam, what is the peach fuzz? Yeah, I beseech unto you, my music ed degree. You have won it fair and square. <laughs> Congratulations, use it well. Why, thank you. <laughs> it's oh. clearly done no good for me. Wow. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to do well on that one at all, so I'm shocked. Well, um, I think I think the point about um, on our last question that you know you may not want to take AP Music Theory because specifically, uh, which you guys didn't get into, but you could have gone over your band teacher or your choir teacher might be bad at music theory. Yeah. It yes. might not be good to have them teach you music theory. The only person I know of in my theory class, because I only talked to like three people in my theory class, um, that took music theory in high school and then showed up and crushed freshman theory, their band director was really, really good friends with our theory professor and used his textbook. Dr. Kiever had written his own freshman theory textbook, and they used it at Meridian High School. And so when my buddy showed up, he's like, oh, yeah, I've already taken this. I've already been through this book. It's fine. Yeah. So that so, like, I did know what he was doing and he was using the exact same curriculum. Right. So that like I went through AP Music Theory and we followed the AP Music Theory textbook, not necessarily one of the ones that we studied in our master's program. But then undergrad for me was uh, the Clendenning, the musician's guide to music theory. And then graduate school was teaching out of the Casca Bain um, tonal harmony. And so, mm-hmm. like, I could, I really got Adam's point of, you know, if you're switching over halfway through something, like, that might not be a good idea because what they're doing may not click with you just from school to school or teacher to teacher. So, yeah, I mean, that was a really good, well, point. and like, yeah. So, you know, I, th- I think it was, I think it was a really close debate, even though Adam didn't feel good about it going into it. <laughs> so any final thoughts before we wrap this thing up? No, that was fun. And I'm not just saying that cause I won. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Good questions. 
All right. Well, thank you everybody so much for listening, subscribing, sharing, telling your friends and family about it. Um, keep an eye on the Twitter and the Facebook page. We're probably going to announce some things about scheduling. We're all teachers, and as we get into the end of the year, we've got a lot on our plate. Plus, Adam has this weekend his presentation at SMT. So if you haven't, and you'll be on Saturday, ideally. That'll happen the day after you hear this. Yeah, so hopefully you listen and you have time to go like jump on SMT and hear Adam give his presentation. But if not, you can always. I think you no. I think you do have to pay for the conference to get in. And my recommendation is don't pay for the conference just to hear me talk about it. Oh no! I was gonna say you could always <laughs> DM Adam or join. I had to pay a lot of money to talk at this conference, and I'm not thrilled about it. So. <laughs> You can always join uh, the Discord uh, and talk to us or join the Reddit page and talk to us. That's the r slash the theory behind it. Uh, For Discord, it's posted on Reddit and somewhere on Twitter probably, but we can always repost it if you guys need a link. But thank you so much, and we'll talk to you. Yeah, and if oh, and if you really are curious about my presentation, I'm sure after it's done, I can post the video or post the PDF of it or whatever. So if anybody actually does care, we can get out get that out there. But I don't expect to have a whole lot of heat on that. So, well, I care. Yeah, you've seen most of it. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much, and we will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.